Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHive.com's NBA writer and host of the HoopsHive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Larry Kuhn, the author of CBA FAQ, the general manager of Sports Business Classroom, and a Spectrum Sportsnet TV contributor as well. We're going to break down some cap-related stuff to look into towards the future and potentially some things to look at in the new CBA agreement. We'll also touch on Sports Business Classroom as well, which is coming up in Vegas Summer League. So, you know, Larry, the first thing I wanted to ask you about naturally was uh, for those who don't know about Sports Business Classroom, I, I wanted to give you a platform to break it down for everybody uh, to describe what it is and when is it out at the Las Vegas Summer League and how people can sign up. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk about that, Michael. So Sports Business Classroom is a week-long immersive experience inside the Las Vegas Summer League, which is coming up. So Sports Business Classroom is running August 9th through 14th during the Summer League. If you are interested in working in sports, there is no better environment to learn from and network. And Michael, you've been to Summer League, right? You've seen... The entire league is there from the commissioner on down. It's, a it's relaxed the Comic-Con. It's the Comic-Con of the NBA. <laughs> yeah, that's a great analogy. So we are in the middle of that. We are bringing the best of the NBA into sports business classroom. We are right in the arena, in the arena. We are bringing the NBA to sports business classroom to speak, to teach. We have great curriculum for people who are looking for jobs in sports, uh, covering the salary cap, scouting, analytics, basketball operations. We're putting your work doing things, media and broadcast. We're, you want to go scout a game with an NBA scout? We're putting you in the seat next to scouts, giving you podcast and broadcast opportunities. This is immersed in the, in the summer league, and it's networking with the people who were there from the league because I always say it's not a matter of who you know. It's a matter of who knows you, and guess what? The, and the NBA... GMs, everybody else in the front offices know who we are, know the quality of the students that we get, and they come to us looking for people when they're looking to be hiring. So if you're interested in breaking into the league, if you're interested in a job in sports, then you're going to want to check us out. So um, including after event support, we have a portal, DSL Talent, that you can think of as LinkedIn for basketball and, and literally uh, they come check our site when they're looking for talent. Uh, we have three majors, and it's organized like a college. Everybody gets a little, a little bit of everything in the GE, but you also dive deep into the major of your choice. One of our majors is the salary cap. One is scouting video and analytics, and the other is media and broadcast. So you get some specialization going on there. So if you're interested um, – Go to our website, uh, www.sportsbusinessclassroom.com. 
com, and you can find out, you know, see testimonials, success stories, see about the program. Now, time is getting short because this year is different. So, summer League is running late, so we're running late, and we're pretty close. It's two weeks away. So our regular registration closes this weekend on July 31st. So I highly suggest that if you're interested in this, come check us out at sportsbusinessclassroom.com and um, register before the end of July, because after that, it's late registration. I can't guarantee a spot, and prices go up anyway. So get in there while you can. Sportsbusinessclassroom.com. It's August 9th through 14th in Las Vegas, Nevada, immersed in the NBA Summer League. And because you're listening here, um, enter when you register, enter into the comments section uh, the code, how about hoops hype? Enter the code hoops hype so I know where you got this, and I will give you $200 off the program. Does that sound good? Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody listening, obviously, that's H-O-O-P-S-H-Y-P-E. And, you know, Larry talked about some of the participants that have been in the program before. Um, it's no joke. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, Daryl Morey, uh, Mark Cuban's been there, Neil O'Shea, Rick Carlisle, you know, just a couple of names. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner as well. Uh, well and, and not only that, if I may, um, not only do we have the, the movers and the shakers, the GMs, the head coaches, the commissioner, um, but we have the working rank and file people there also, the people who have the jobs that you're looking to get. We have plenty of front office operations staff, analytics coordinators. We have scouts. We have video coordinators. We have media people. We, we have uh, because if you're looking for getting a job in the sports, everybody goes, oh, I want to be a GM. Well, guess what? GM, there, there's fewer GM jobs than there are senator jobs in the United States. It, it's a rarefied atmosphere. And you're looking to get the job that's going to get you the job, that's going to get you the job, that's going to get you the job, that may get you that job. Let's get your foot in the door. Let's get you where, where the jobs are available. Let's get you in there. Let's get you conversing. I want you, whatever table you're sitting at in the front office, I want you to be able to be conversant at that table on the topics and be able to put it all together. That's what you're going to get as Plus Business Classroom. And, and Larry, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing you out in Vegas. It's obviously been too long for a lot of us. And, you know, with that in mind, um, I wanted to definitely get your thoughts on a couple of other uh, things from the salary cap, which is kind of how you made your bread and butter. And most people know you from the CBA FAQ. Uh, I, that's one of the first ways I found out a little bit about the, the salary cap. So, but, you know, Larry, with that in mind, from a salary cap perspective, as we look ahead uh, towards the offseason, what what teams are you looking for to be most active to shed salary or use cap space to absorb contracts as we head into the draft and then into free agency? Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because every offseason is its own entity. And, you know, some have better free agent classes, some have worse free agent classes, some have lots of teams with cap room. Sometimes it's the opposite. So everyone is unique. Um, and it goes without saying that if a team has max cap room, they have an advantage. Now, this year, the free agent market isn't the best one we've had lately. So it, it's not like all these teams have cap room and they're just going to be throwing it at prime free agents, especially if you look at guys like Kawhi and Chris Paul. If they stay put, then it's not really a great free agent market. But that said, you know, teams like New York, San Antonio, 
to a lesser extent, Dallas, um, Toronto could be interesting because they're probably ready to move on from Kyle Lowry. Um, Miami, I would say, is interesting. Not that they have cap room, but they're in one of those unique situations where they can go either way. They can either clear the books uh, and they can be a, a team with enough cap room to make some noise, or if if they pick up the options on uh, Goran Dragic and Andre Iguodala, then they could stay a um, a cap team, which means they'll be spending exceptions, but they'll have those those contracts, one or both of them, to be able to grease the skids on some trades. So that's one that I'm really interested in watching, just to kind of see how they do this, and then. Also, just looking at this trade that just happened with New Orleans, they're clearly positioning themselves to start making the moves, uh, a move or two. So I'm interested in watching what happens there as well. Yeah, and you, you touched on New Orleans. I mean, certainly uh, the scuttlebutt, as they say, in the league had been Kyle Lowry potentially going there and to get him around, mm-hmm. you know, 35, um, excuse me, 30 million. Um, and so with that in mind, it's like, uh, you know, he was a top guy. Then you hear some – there's been a, a rumor out there about Lonzo Ball and a potential sign and trade for Malcolm Brogdon. It seemed to me that was more of a fallback for Kyle Lowry. But to your point, it looks like they're trying to clear that cap space. I know people are thinking, well, they also did it maybe to match for Lonzo Ball. Uh, Lonzo Ball wasn't getting $30 million, folks. That's you got to read between the lines mm-hmm. there a little bit. But you know, with that in mind, uh, you talked about teams that are positioning themselves – to be either a cap team or not. And one dis- one disposal we've seen from teams, maybe a little bit more on the past, doesn't always happen. But you, know, you see her periodically, like in the D'Angelo Russell, uh, Kevin Durant move with the Nets and the Warriors, but the art of the sign-and-trade. And with that in mind, do you think the sign-and-trade market in free agency is going to be active this summer? Yeah, so here's the rule of thumb. Well, and and first, the sign and trade really works differently now than it used to work before because before a team could get the biggest deal possible from his home team for a sign and trade, five years and eight percent raises or whatever the highest raises were at the time. Now a player can only get the kind of contract, five percent raises in four years that he could get by signing with that team directly, which means that if the player can sign with another team directly, he's just going to go ahead and sign there. There's no sweetener to get him to re-sign with his old team for the purpose of a sign-and-trade, which means a sign-and-trade really is only useful now when a player wants to go to a team that doesn't have the cap room to sign in directly. So now it's just a function of cap room, right? I said every, every year is different. Sometimes more teams have cap room, sometimes they have less. The rule of thumb is when cap room goes down, signing trades go up because that's the mechanism for getting moves done. So with fewer teams with a lot of cap room now, you know, this one we're kind of in the middle, we have a few teams there. Um, I would still expect to see more teams trying to get their work done through signing trade because the players who might be looking to change teams, like again, Schroeder would be one example. If he's looking to go somewhere, he's he's apparently looking for a lot of money. And a team that wants him and may even be willing to meet his asking price may not be a team with the cap room to be able to sign him to that, which means they're looking at making the deal. Do you feel that 
there are specific players who maybe could benefit from that type of deal given their current uh, situation with their team right now heading into free agency? Well, I just mentioned Schroeder. I think he's a prime example. Lonzo might be another one. The other thing you have to look at is who's restricted. Because for a restricted free agent, the home team has the right to match any contract offer, uh, which means it's hard to get away in that situation. That's the whole point of restricted free agency. In order to actually change teams, sometimes it's necessary for the restricted free agent to convince the home team and say, all right, let's do a sign and trade to put you somewhere else. And when that happens, you get something back for for losing the player and and facilitating the sign and trade, um, but they're still able to get the player. So that's the other way that you see a lot of sign and trades happen. So Lonzo would be an example of that. Any of the restricted free agents coming out are potentially uh, that kind of player. Then the other thing you look at is um, any free agents who would be making a lot of money. Uh, Chris Paul would be sort of a canonical example there, right? Because his contract is so huge. If he wanted to go, if he does opt out, first of all, and he didn't opt out just for the purpose of re-signing in Phoenix to get more years, then that's probably what's going to happen. But if he did decide he wanted to go somewhere else, his contract is enormous and he's not opting out of the kind of money that he's going to be making next year just in order to go play somewhere for the mid-level exception. You know what I mean? So he would be looking at sign and trade options in that event. So those are, those are kind of examples of the, the reasons that you would see that sort of thing happening. Now we touched on some specific players, but you know, looking ahead towards the future, players and teams are all affected by the CBA agreement. And with that in mind, I was curious from your perspective, if there are things in the current CBA that are maybe problematic or things that you disagree with that could be improved upon. Well, the one thing to understand about the CBA is that it's not designed from the top down to be the most efficient way of running the league. It is negotiated and often under a severe time crunch between two sides who in some respects are competing interests because the players and the teams both want a bigger share of the pie. And the CBA has just evolved from from one agreement to the next to the next over time. And what we get is what they negotiate between the two sides. And often it's a quid pro quo. We'll give you this, but you've got to give us that. And yeah, you get um, some things in there that wouldn't make sense if you see something that was designed from the top down, but it wasn't designed from the top down. And I will say, by the way, the CBA just got a huge test with everything that happened over the past year and a half with COVID. And you know, there were uh, there's a clause in there, and, and it's, it was pretty obscure before this happened. Just if there's a sudden big loss of revenue, they're just going to have to negotiate in good faith to see what they come up with because nobody can predict stuff like that, right? And they figured it out and they made it work. And they made it so that the league pretty much functioned as usual. And they made it up by because the players basically get half the revenue up or down. So if it's a down year, the player's share of the pie is a little bit less. Well, the players were, you know, had uh, contracts that added up, what, a billion dollars more than the, uh, than the league revenues said that they should get. 
So they handled it through increased escrow. It proved the resilience of the system, which was a good thing. After that, there are, sure, a few things where um, they could have done a better job. Like I never, I, I do not like how they did the restricted free agent match period. They took a half a step in the right direction by making it so that a restricted free agent could get an offer sheet during the moratorium. Usually I say July moratorium, but it's not in July this year. Um, but the home team doesn't have to match the, that offer sheet until after the moratorium ends. So there's no reason for a team to give another team more time to match an offer. They want to give them as little time as possible. So where it could have made it so that um, where in the past restricted free agents didn't get their uh, their place in line until after most of the money was gone with other free agents. They could have gone a little bit closer to the front of the line, but they didn't implement it right. And now restricted free agents are still left where after all the re- the big restricted free- the big unrestricted free agents are signed and the money is all spoken for, then they get their turn. And the money in a lot of cases is all dried up. So I didn't think that they did restricted free agency all that well. Um, in general, I thought the Supermax, I understand why they did it, but it was generally bad. It ended up with, with um, a lot of teams being hurt and a lot of players being moved around. You know, supposed to keep players in place. Well, it ended up with players being moved just because of it. You know, the very first deal I think was Demarcus Cousins being moved from Sacramento to uh, to New Orleans just because they didn't want to be in a position where they would have to pay the supermax. And in in general, any time where it's a reaction to something that happened, and clearly it was a reaction to Kevin Durant moving from Oklahoma City to Golden State. When you do things as a reaction to a single event, typically that reaction is a bad reaction. And I think that that's what happened here. Um, you can say that there's no real point in the July moratorium. And, and I can kind of agree with that. And really, even no reason for free agency to open when it does for that matter, right? Um, I I could see the freeze and see period opening closer to the draft or even before the draft, and I think it might end up um, with a better system overall. And then, um, you know, extensions, they could do better. But I I think you said that you had a specific question about extensions. Uh, One thing that, uh, you know, our own salary cap uh, expert, Yossi Goslin, had put in my ear was, the conversation about the veteran extension limitations, because, you know, teams are basically limited to giving veterans uh, a raise of 120 percent. Um, like just what is your thought on on that? Because for some teams with veterans on team friendly deals, uh, it, it can hurt them maybe from locking up their main players with free agency coming up. Because like you look at the Bulls with Zach Levine and. They can only give him, I think, 105 over four, four years, that is, uh, unless they do either a renegotiation or an extension. And yet he's eligible for a max in the 2022 offseason. So do you think that maybe they would ever change the rule uh, so that he that type of a player can become extension eligible earlier? Yeah, that's one of the rules that I just do not like. And you, you touched on the reasons there. 
my opinion is that um, the whole point of extensions is that you want to lock up a player before he becomes a free agent, because as soon as somebody becomes a free agent, even with the best of intentions, they become a flight risk. You want to be able to lock the guy up, but in cases like that, where you can get a 20% raise, and even the 20% raise is a bump from how it used to be, you can give that 20% raise, but if the player, his, his market value is higher than that, you can't extend him. You have to wait and let him become a free agent and then try and re-sign him. My opinion is I don't see a difference in a normal year between June 30th and July 1st. Something you can do on, on July 1st you should be able to do on June 30th before the season ends and he becomes a free agent. And also it brings some more sanity to the free agent market where a guy doesn't hit free agency in the first place and the rest of the league knows, okay, he's, you know, now they might assume he's going to resign, but this way they would know. So my opinion has always been that a player and a team, if they want to lock the, the player up, they should be able to do anything before for you to see that they're going to be able to do after because what does a couple of days matter and also with that in mind uh do you think as we're talking about you know the cba and whatnot the current one and some issues that we may or may not have what kind of rule changes do you expect potentially in the next cba uh, again, I go back to my disclaimer that it's a matter of negotiation, and often it's a quid for a quo. We'll give you something, but you've got to get us something else in, in return for that. We'll give you what you want, but you give us what I want. I would love to see some of the things that we just talked about fixed, you know, ex- extensions. I would love to see them fixed. I, I would love to see something happen with the Supermax where it doesn't hurt the small market teams as much as it does. Um, I would love to see restricted free agency uh, be a little bit better. But for the most part, you know, the deal has, the CBA has been getting progressively better over time, certainly in the 20 plus years that I've been doing, you know, watching it very closely. Um, so I would hope that they would address that. I, I would hope that they, they give teams more freedom when they're talking to and working out prospects. Uh, because in a lot of cases there there's some restrictions there, and you know only three guys on the court at once type of thing, uh, and who you can work out with. So you know te- teams aren't able to make the kind of assessments that they would like to be able to make on some of of those those players. Um, I would hope that, like I said, that they uh, adjust when free agency happens uh, and make it more sane in relationship to the draft and also the July moratorium, what happens there, even if you have one. It, right now, it's this, this system is set up to, to have teams cheat. And we saw that a, a couple of years ago where, you know, they opened up free agency on July 1st, and within the first half hour, everybody was spoken for. Well, how does that happen, right? It's because everybody has been talking to everybody even when they're not supposed to. You put a cookie in front of a kid, and then you say, don't eat this cookie. Come on. That cookie's getting eaten. Let, let's let's realize that and and let's fix this whole thing. The other thing, I mean, we're, we we talk about age limit adjustments. That would be one of those quid pro quo things that I'm kind of I ambivalent about. But also, I would love to see them do something to better absorb big revenue increases and hopefully not decreases again. Uh, but if it happens, you know, the next TV deal, big revenue increase potentially. 
those create shocks to the system with the, the salary cap that aren't good for the league. And I would like to see something built into the agreement that helps to smooth that out. Do you think the NBA would ever eliminate a max contract for a player? No. Uh, and I, I understand some of the arguments, but it serves multiple purposes. So on one hand, you don't want LeBron James and Steph Curry getting market value because what's their market value? You know, $100 million in a true open market? Well, it, it, and then everybody else would be making the minimum on that team. Just, that's just, just how it would work. The problem is, like I said, the players overall, collectively, every player in the league gets about 50% of the revenue that comes in. So if LeBron and Steph get more, then league-wide, everybody else is going to get less. And you can kind of look at it like a pyramid, right? Like, like the, the, the food pyramid from the FDA, where the, the guys at the top, you know, they're earning the most, but there's comparatively few of them. Then there's the mid-level guys. Then at the bottom, there's the minimum salary players. But it is a well-shaped pyramid, meaning there are plenty of players at each, the right number of players at each one of the pyramid. And like I said, this whole system is a matter of agreement between the league and the players. And they all agreed on this because the players also have two interests. Number one, they wanted to protect that lower class. They wanted it so that if you have extraordinary talent and you do the work to make it to the NBA, you should be able to earn a good amount of money while you're there. And number two, protecting that middle class, ensuring that the guys um, who are mid-level talent, starter-level talent, aren't uh, pushed down into much lower salaries just because you have to give all the money to the richest players. So the players like the system, the owners like that system, and for that reason, I think that system is going to be here to stay. Do you think the NBA would make any changes to their luxury tax rules for teams in the new CBA? You know, they've already done that um, because it used to be seen as the cost of doing business, right? And and the competitive teams, they just ignored it. They just blew right past it because a dollar-for-dollar tax and no other penalty, okay, cost of being competitive, they do it. So they made it more onerous. They they did a few things. First of all, it used to be a dollar-for-dollar. Now it starts at about 50 per dollar. It goes up faster Pretty quickly, it adds up to to much more money. You know, they put rungs in there where every five million your rate gets higher. They added the repeater tax that makes it worse. Where if you just keep paying tax, you're going to get tagged even more. But then they also put system changes in. So if you spend too much, then you can't. Your exceptions get smaller. Some aren't available at all. You can't get a guy in the signing trade. So now it really has helped to control spending. And it's also a form of revenue sharing, right? It really is the richer teams helping to subsidize the poorer teams. But now there's much more robust revenue sharing that's completely separate from the luxury tax. So they still work together. But right now the system is pretty much functioning the way that they want it to function. Could it be tweaked? Sure. But it is serving both its direct and indirect purposes. So I think the the luxury tax tweaks are pretty much mission accomplished already. And Larry, last one for me, NBA expansion has been talked about. And I was curious from your vantage point, what you think NBA expanding to more teams could do to the salary cap potentially down the line if that were to happen? 
yeah, I think it's pretty inevitable that there's going to be expansion at some point in time, and we could see a 32-team league. You know, there's certainly cities like Seattle that are ready to hold um, an NBA franchise again. Um, and I was thinking that expansion might have even been on the table in this past year because of COVID. Because if you collect a couple of expansion fees, you put a lot of money into the league in a year when revenues are so far down. You could say we're collecting expansion fees this year, but we're not expanding, doing the actual expansion for five, six, seven years down the line. And kind of pushing that problem down the road. They didn't do that. Adam Silver said that they weren't really considering expansion. Um, But in general, I think it's going to happen and it's a cost benefit proposition, right? On one hand, you are getting those expansion fees, probably in the neighborhood of $2 billion for the next teams that join the league. Plus eventually you're increasing the revenue that comes in, ticket sales, local cable revenue, Everything around the games, you know, the national TV deals don't get any bigger, but certainly in arena things and and local revenues are going to be a lot higher and that contributes to the bottom line. On the other hand, the flip side of that coin is that you're now splitting the profits more ways and you're revenue sharing differently and, and everything else. So when the league considers expansion, they have to look at that net benefit. Does what what um, money that the, a new expansion team would bring to the table justify splitting things 31 or 32 ways rather than 30 ways. And I would assume that, you know, I may prop up teams at the start, but after a couple of years, you got to kind of be contributing to that bottom line. So in the end, I would assume if they do expand, expand they, they have worked it out so that they know that the expansion teams will have a positive net benefit to them. And therefore, uh, you know, on on the tax, on everything else. Um, So uh, eventually it happens. So I would say that, yes, it will occur. And then once it does occur, the bottom line goes up. And when the bottom line goes up, to get around to your question, the salary cap also goes up. So we would see an increase in the cap just by virtue of that, plus more jobs in the league, which is a great thing. So. the the effect wouldn't be as great as like what they were talking about in the next TV deal, but it will have a positive contribution. And by the way, expansion fees themselves, if they do collect $2 billion a piece uh, from teams who want to join the league, that's not part of the basketball-related income. So the expansion fees would not add up to to affect the salary cap. You know, when we were talking about expansion, I always thought Las Vegas would be an ideal place for a new NBA franchise. And I touched on Seattle a little bit as well. Uh, certainly there's been some chatter about trying to bring a team back there, but for me, Vegas would be a team, uh, would be a good location for a team for sure. Yeah. Now the league was, the league was nervous for a while about the whole gambling connection, but clearly leagues are working this out. We have hockey there, <laughs> you know, we, we have NFL there. And I think the the NBA is more comfortable with the idea, certainly. So I don't see Las Vegas as being an impediment anymore. If anything, I think the gambling kind of enhances the chances a little bit. Um, In in the last agreement, they put clauses in there about how gambling revenues affect the bottom line. It's coming. And uh, you know what, Larry, you hit the nail on the head. It's coming and there's a lot coming up soon with 
draft, free agency, the future CBA. I appreciate you breaking it down with us. I also appreciate you giving listeners a, a preview to the sports business classroom. As Larry touched on, August 9th to the 14th. It's a great opportunity. If you want to get into the business of basketball, you can check it out on sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Very easy to sign up right there. Uh, it's right on the homepage. Uh, and Larry, I appreciate you hopping on and chopping it up with me on all these topics, my man. I had fun. Thanks, Michael. You got it. And uh, also want to thank everybody else for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Larry Kuhn, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter, at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Larry, too. He's at Larry Kuhn. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.